Welcome listeners to the Kofkin Bond & Co podcast. Today we explore human performance and leadership with our guest Carl Terrell. Carl's leadership journey began in his formative years as a football captain and progressed to serving for 24 years as an army officer at the highest levels. Carl's leadership has resonated from the front lines of Iraq to the boardrooms of Australia. Recognised for his strategic acumen, Carl holds an MBA, boasts multiple board positions and is a certified coach. We hope you glean invaluable lessons and insights from a true leader looking to develop others. Join us as we unravel leadership excellence with Carl. Carl, after that wonderful introduction uh, for you, which could go on for an hour because you've done so much in your short 54 years on this earth. Are you 55 yet? 55 now, but thanks for the... uh, I know I only look 54. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember, uh, so we didn't mention it in the bio, but you and I have been friends for a long time, went to school together. I was always the youngest by about half a year to a year uh, in our year level. So, yeah. uh, But anyway, it's uh, great to have you on board. And, you know, as a leader, as a, uh, you know, 24 years in the Army, retired Lieutenant Colonel, four, four, doing four tours, your your background in leadership it was not just a logistical thing. Your background in leadership was actually leading people in war and in conflict as well and having to get the best out of people. And I know from a personal level, uh, having worked with you as a pro bono director and your pro bono chair of Carry On, uh, for four years, according to LinkedIn, told me uh, a few days ago. I just had my four-year anniversary, and you, you, thank you. You invited me onto that board, and you were the chair, so I can actually. I've asked you to come on board here, not so much because of your military, but I've actually seen your leadership in action mm-hmm. and the way you actually changed uh, that organisation and brought it into uh, the. 21st century. Nearly said the 20th century there. Jeez. That's a few, <laughs> that's a while ago now. So it's, uh, but brought it into the 21st century and the way you modernized it and really have, you know, as the chair, uh, retired chair now, but the way you really drove that forward to the powerhouse of a charity that it is today looking after retired servicemen. So, so I'm speaking firsthand, but today we're actually going to talk about, because we were discussing your, High Performance Leadership app, which is about to be launched uh, next month, and we'll and you you have kindly actually offered a discount code for all of our listeners, which is wonderful of you. So we'll make sure that goes out to everyone as well. So thank you so much for that. But one of the things I actually want to talk to you well, there's a number of things I want to talk to you about today. But I want to start basically on um, your perspective of human performance because mm. that can be a myriad of things you know when it comes to uh, human performance etc but I just want your perspective of modern day life human performance and you know from, from that perspective as well moving into leadership as well and getting the best out of ourselves yeah for sure um I just go back one step. The the I'm launching an online program, so it's not program. Sorry, thank app. you. No, that, yep. that's okay. Um, just so people know what they're getting in for, and um, yeah, obviously, very very happy to provide um, a discount, maybe a thirty percent discount. That sounds pretty good for good uh, for, for your viewers uh, and your and your clients, um, and hopefully, we get a few on and they get a lot of value out of it. So. Yeah, I guess uh, the question is, is, your question was around um, human performance. And one of the things that um, I've noticed in the market at the moment 
is that there's a lot of words that you know are not not readily defined so people don't really know what they what they mean and um human performance i think is one of them um so is high performance human potential those sorts of things people aren't really 100% sure of what they mean and they can mean different things to different people um and you know a, a lot of the origins of these sorts of things come out of sport and the military and so crossing that divide into the corporate world about what it means there can be can be difficult sometimes so what i do is i i specialize in human performance so human performance really in my view is the ability to to consistently perform at our very best in any given circumstance or environment that's basically it and so that's really broad okay that could mean anything um so what I do is I break it down a little bit further. And there's a very smart guy called Tim uh, Galway who came up with this um, th- this thing called the performance equation. And I think it's it's beautiful in its simplicity. And what he says is that performance is potential minus interferences. Um, I don't particularly like the word interferences, so I've replaced it with obstacles. So our performance as human beings in whatever endeavour that we choose to undertake is our potential, our human potential, minus the obstacles that get in the way. And I think that that's that's beautiful in its simplicity. Um, And then, you know, each of those two variables, both potential and the obstacles, we can break those down so that we can take action on them. So if we start with the, the variable of human potential, we know that in it's it's capped, right? So you, you can't have exponential potential. Um, and the way that I break down each of the variables, both potential and obstacles, is by looking at it through the lens of um, the biopsychosocial model, which is a psych, uh, psych model. So if you look at potential, we, we have physiological or biological um, uh, limits and particularly guys our age right Tony uh, where we're coming hard up against the face of our of our limits so but we still are, have the memory of a 15 year old my friend <laughs> yes yeah we do yeah and sometimes silly enough to act on that um <laughs> So if you, you look at uh, potential that we have, we're capped in terms of our potential um, from a physiological sense. And also from a psychological sense, we're capped, you know, cognitively and emotionally, there is a limit to what we can process. And then social, sociologically, we're also, it's finite, we're capped um, or we're restricted in what we can achieve when you look at what financial resources are available to us, what human resources are available, maybe the place that we live, um, our physical environment restricts our potential. So that's the potential side of it. That's that variable. And then you've got the other variable, which is the obstacles. So it's potential minus obstacles. And this is where we can do a lot of work. Um, So Again, you look at it through the biological, psychological and sociological lens. 
Um, what, from a physiological perspective, is an obstacle for us to perform better? And so we end up with a list of things, if you like, that we can uh, we can work on. We can attack those. And from a psychological perspective, this is where there's a huge amount of work that we can all do to increase our capability, um, which then increases our performance. And from a social perspective, we've all heard about, you know, the company you keep and um, all of that sort of stuff uh, and put into that the habits that we that we um, that we that we all have. They can all be worked on as well. So in a in a um, in a in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do is I have a look at people's human potential. We then uh, we identify that. What is what is it now? We look at the obstacles from a biopsychosocial um, perspective and we start to work on those two variables to get a better performance. Carl, if I can ask a question on that, when you when you were going through that, I wrote down here, physical, environmental can sometimes limit uh, our potential of what we can do. Mm. And one of the first things that actually came into my mind was the movie, which is based on a true story, Cool Runnings, about the Jamaican bobsled team, mm. where they obviously there's no snow in Jamaica, number one, uh, but these were for amazing athletes who just missed out on the Olympic, you know, 100 metres team, basically, but decided to do the next best thing and trying to train, you know, the, it was, it was, and they'd never actually had a bobsled either, you know, so, but, you know, and it, it's, it's a real heartwarming movie about, you know, people who had self-belief that didn't actually let the limitations of, First of all, trying to train for. Secondly, actually being on a bobsled um, mm. and then go into it. So is it sometimes that we can put roadblocks up in our own mind of saying we can't do this because of my age, I can't do this because of where I physically live, but there's, there's nothing – I mean, that that's an extreme example, but – is it just sometimes that we very easily put roadblocks up as an excuse not to necessarily try something as well? Yeah, look, 100%, and that's human nature. And that's mm. a lot of my work is is working against this human nature to avoid pain and to seek out comfort. I mean, that's what we do. And more and more um, as a society, that's the way we're heading. You know, like when, when you and I were kids – we actually had to get off the couch to change the channel on the TV, right? Um, and, for our, and for our fathers as well. Yeah. No, for we our fathers, not just for ourselves. Yeah. Also. <laughs> That's right. It's like yeah. we were the remote. Yeah, so, Jordan's looking at us, Cole, saying, what are you talking about? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, as a society, we've inched and inched and inched more into this um, this realm of comfort. And, um, and it's all that comfort, really, if you – inverted it's about avoiding pain um, it's about avoiding suffering and you know the um, the Buddhists have a, a great saying and that is that life is suffering and so we need to to be I think to be fully human we need to embrace the pain you know the American military call it um, uh, what do they say um, embrace the suck I think they say yeah, in, in the Australian that. military, we just, it's, we shorten it. It's suck it up, right? <laughs> um, but if you're, you're here and 
you're experiencing suffering, well, well might, why, why not try and find some meaning in it and, um, you know, embrace it, almost enjoy it if you can, because it's, it's the way that life is. Um, Cole, Cole, you, you use, I mean, you've also had, you know, you're also very good at sport. Um, I know growing up you're quite a talented boxer, never mind Krav Maga and every other sport that you've done and tried in, in your life as well. So you, you've always been uh, very disciplined. You know, you, you don't get to the levels that you got at without being disciplined as well. When we look at it from a sports perspective, we do know, you know, I remember my kids saying to me once about someone's physique, you know, an elite athlete's physique. I can't remember who it was. And I said, you do realize to look like that, you're in constant pain. Yeah. You're in constant pain because, you know, when you're actually going out and training or pumping weights or doing a 20-kilometer training run, (laughs) as much as the endorphin rush at the end of it is actually quite good, if you're not actually putting your body through strain, which actually then puts your mind through strain, if we think of the extreme example of the likes of, say, David Goggins, mm. uh, you know, so he, he always says that when you when you want to when your mind is telling you to give up, you're actually only at sixty percent of your limits. Yeah. Uh, now he, he's an extreme case, obviously. Uh, yeah. You know, there's very few people in the world uh, that have his discipline and determination. But from that perspective. Why Why do you believe from a leadership perspective that there's so many people who just aren't prepared to put themselves in that position or start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, which I'm sure you were in those positions on many occasions. You and Jordan were in those positions on many occasions yeah, when you're yeah. serving on tour. Mm. Um, yeah, well, you raised Goggins. He's the perfect embrace the suck, isn't he? I have to admit that I don't follow him, but yeah. he can't help but not see him um, on social media. So I think he yeah. even uses that that phrase, or he's he's into his hundred ninetieth kilometer or whatever it is of a of a training a, run of, of a run, yeah, <laughs> and, and he's yelling at the camera, to "Go hard!" Or, or whatever his little mantra is. Hmm. Um, so yeah, why why do people Avoided, I think, because it's human nature. I mean, we're we're wired that way in our um, limbic system, our reptilian brain, is we're, we're wired to um, to avoid pain and to avoid threat. Um, it's just that um, you know, and you've probably heard this a million times from from different people that it's now misplaced in in society. We don't have that many threats that we need to. Uh, to avoid or to run away from. And so uh, in the current society, you know, going to the gym is like, you know, the, in our brain, it, it signals the, the amygdala to, you know, fight or flight and, and we run away from the pain. Um, and what's but interesting... The amyg- but the amygdala grows, uh, Carl. It actually grows and, and actually gives us longevity of life by doing things that we hate. Exactly you know, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I'm not just, I'm, it probably is the amygdala. I'm not sure if it is, but there's a part of yeah. our brain, like a physical part of our brain that is, um, and I'm, I'm studying psychology. I'm not a psychologist. Yes. I'm not a yep. neuroscience. So let me yep. just put this out there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm probably going to get half of this wrong, but there is a physical part of our brain that they have mapped to willpower or discipline. Correct. Um, what's interesting is you're talking about a physical physique, you know, what it takes to have a physical physique. And what's interesting about it, it's like you don't have to go, you, you don't go and do that activity once to get the physique. It's constant. 
when you stop, the physique goes away. And it's the same with willpower. When you stop doing things that are hard, when, when you're doing things that are hard, when you're doing things that you don't really want to do, you grow willpower. So it's ironic, right? And then when you stop doing things that you don't want to do and that are hard, um, that willpower, that part of your brain starts to, if it's the amygdala or whatever it is, starts to decrease in size and, and they, they see less electromagnetic, um, activity in that part of the brain. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we should get up in the morning and the first three things on our list are the things that we really don't want to do, you know? Um, Ryan Holiday wrote a whole book about this, The Obstacle is the Way. Um, and it's the magnificent, way it's magnificent book, by, right. by the way. That, oh, there you, got, there you go. There you go. I've got to sit with the Daily Stoic sitting on my desk. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. So um, there's a, the, I think there's a lot of evidence, um, lot, scientific evidence and a lot of anecdotal evidence that that's what we're here to do is to be challenged and to be uncomfortable. That's That's what we're actually here to do. We just have to fight um, the natural propensity to go in the opposite direction. So if we, if we look at, say, for example, and I'd like to hear what your definition of a good leader is, uh, considering that I, I, I remember you telling me once, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but if you were called sir by the people serving with you, you knew you didn't have their respect. If they called you boss, you knew you you had their respect. And when you consider that these are, you know, a dozen burly soldiers, you know, with uh, guns following you into a town not knowing or driving not knowing what you're going to expect. And, you know, I've seen uh, photos of, you know, you in some very horrible situations that people shouldn't be in, you know, with, um, you know, getting fired upon. And I Mm -hmm. I think even your helmet had a ricochet off at once. Uh, So, but what I'm saying is when you're, when you're in that sort of leadership um, area, what do you actually resonate resonates as a good leader in say the corporate world? And that that could even be as a parent, you know, a good, a good Mm -hmm. leader as a parent as well. Um, so, and what are those traits, you know, that you see that actually get the best out of people as well? And are leaders in general just people who are, they don't even think about sucking up the pain because that's just their life. You know, some of them, they just get through it because yeah. that's what they do. Well, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk about being vulnerable. I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not putting that up as the major thing, right? Yeah. But, being vulnerable requires courage and courage is facing something that is difficult or that you might not really want to do. So it ties into what we just said, right? So there's a lot of people running around saying the best leaders are the ones that show vulnerability. But I think um, for me, it's a little bit deeper than that and it's almost simpler. And when I say simpler, it's not easier. It's just simpler than being vulnerable. You, you, you want to be vulnerable for a reason, there's an outcome to being vulnerable. There's a, there should be the one singular outcome to everything you do as a, as a leader and who you are as a leader, and that is to engender trust. So leadership is a relationship. It's a relationship with, with many. Uh, it might be a small team, it might be a big team, big team, but it's still a relationship. Um, and if you look at the, in any good relationships, let's take it outside of leadership. Let's say a marriage. The best uh, marriages are based on trust. It's not respect. It's probably not even love. 
It's trust. It's this person has got my back. I can tell them whatever is deep inside me. I know that they're, they're going to protect and look after, look after me. I trust them with who I am. And so as a leader, that is the number one thing that I build into any program or any coaching that I do with leaders is to, to get to the nut of how much people trust you and how you are moving towards being worthy of trust. And that comes down to who you are as a person. And that's why a lot of my leadership stuff is not about them. It's about me. You know, it's about you personally. That's where we start. I know um, reading the, which I think is a, a really good book, uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And I know you've got an extensive library behind you and you're an avid reader as well. And I see, um, is a tri- tribe of uh, mentors there on the right-hand side, Tim Ferriss, yep. on yep. my right hand, so your left. <laughs> so, but it's... Um, the, I think we've got that book in our breakout room, Bill Jordan, if you actually want to read it. Um, the, when you actually have a look at that, he spoke about the different five different levels of leadership and he spoke about a level five leader and the successful companies that have, that had level five leadership and those leaders were not rock stars. They weren't about themselves. They were about the organization and bringing people through rather than them getting the individual glory because he said the ones that went for the individual glory were the major concerns and should be the major concerns in organizations because they're not bringing other people through and by not bringing other people through, when they decide to retire, there's no succession for that, for that company. Uh, to continue. And he spoke about that level five leader was about bringing people through. And one of the things I've witnessed, you know, having worked with thousands of leaders in my, in my job over 32 years is that a lot of the great leaders have great trusted people around them who are also great leaders in their own right as well. Is that something that you've witnessed? Yeah, for sure. I, I think, um, from my perspective, I, I'm, you know, and I get a little bit of flack with this because um, there is out in the wider world, particularly in the corporate world, there is this real focus on being, you know, putting people first. You know, my people come first. Um, and, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I know that sounds really harsh, but I think the great leaders are people who are mission focused. So the mission first. So, you know, it's sexist, but in, in the part of the military I was in back then, there were no, there were no women. So my mantra was my priorities were mission, men, me. Um, so I was last on that list. My men, my, my people were second. My mission was first. And the reason why I say that is because we're about the greater good. Okay, if we don't, if we don't successfully prosecute our mission, then why are we even there? The best thing that a leader can do is develop trust. Secondly, develop a shared purpose. And when we achieve that shared purpose, everyone feels great. We all feel fulfilled. We all feel valued. We all feel, you know, all of those great feelings that are up the top of Maslow's hierarchy. We get all of those fuzzy feels. Um, if we put the mission first. And so a really great leader is able to um, create and develop a really compelling mission that includes a really compelling visionary purpose 
and then bring everyone on to really care about that and to want to succeed in it. Absolutely. So, and for a leader to be able to do that, they can't be a rock star. Uh, you know, so which is, it was interesting, you know, as much as he's done some pretty good things, but I was reading, uh, about, um, Elon Musk's pay packet got rejected in court today as being excessive. Uh, you know, it was $83.3 billion. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh with his options and all the rest of it yeah so it's so uh, with his options and all the rest of it and it's just like even with tax minimization that's still a damn amount of tax you know that that's yeah. he's, the tax on that is more than some countries gdp <laughs> yeah. um but it's it's you know one of the things about um elon musk is harder worker and his intelligence is he is he's still a bit of a rock star and i've often yeah. wondered that if he wasn't there driving would the organization continue and, you know, so, and that's, and to be really honest, you know, as a, you know, working in funds management, it's one of the reasons why we've never had exposure to Tesla shares, you know, maybe to the detriment in some way, but I've always been concerned that if he was to fall off the perch, yeah. uh, that company just, would it still be around? Yeah. And that, that's always been one of my major concerns. And, but can leaders then, and I, I suppose I'm thinking more a little bit the likes of Steve Jobs here, uh, Steve Jobs, you know, 1.0, Steve Jobs 2.0, uh, with Apple. Can leaders, uh, reinvent themselves to come back and actually go from being that bit of a rock star, a bit of a tyrant in some ways, to actually being a leader, you know, reinvent themselves where people say, gee, I, I am following you, or, you know, in the case of the military, following you into battle, or the case of, uh, you know, Apple, in this case with Steve Jobs, uh, him saying, I want you to develop it, I want you to tell me what we're doing, here's our mission of what we want to do as an organisation, but he actually handed over control, which was not something easy for him. Do you see that in a lot of organisations where, because I have written down a word here, adaptable, adaptable or adaptability. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that a lot in high-level leadership in corporates um, as well? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Honest answer, please. You don't have to mention names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, you know, uh, the whole, as you say, the rock star thing is a bit of a problem. Um, so when people in... Um, in the corporate environment are promoted to the top of the leadership tree or near to the top of the leadership tree. A couple of things in my experience happen. Firstly, um, it does become, it's no longer mission people me, it becomes a little bit me. And, you know, if you're promoting yourself in order to achieve the mission, go for it. That's, that's different than promoting yourself in terms of ego. But it does become about that and a little bit. And the other thing that I've noticed is that by actually being promoted into a position, they, they uh, it's, it's common to have the mindset that, well, I've made it and therefore I, I have no more to learn. Um, and despite the fact that, you know, a lot of people will stand up and, and portray themselves as being very humble, uh, when you get inside an organisation um, and you start working, um, it's very often senior leaders who don't want to do that work because the mindset is, well, I, I've made it. If I wasn't a great leader, I wouldn't have this job. Um, and I can categorically say that that's not the case. There are people who hold positions uh, of leadership who are not great leaders, but they hold those positions for other reasons, either political or maybe they're extremely technically competent or um, they are the most acceptable 
um, version of maybe a CEO to the board or to the shareholders. So, um, the optics are good. Yeah, the optics mm. are good. But I think, you know, it does come back to trust. Um, and, and, you know, leadership in a corporate environment is not just about the people who follow you. It's also about the board and it's about the shareholders. Like, is there, is there trust in this person to do the right thing? So whichever way you go, it always comes back to trust. And trust is about who you are. Um, and so you mentioned, you know, can you reinvent yourself? Yeah, I think you can. Um, I think that you need to be careful, though, because you can lack authenticity if you decide tomorrow um, I'm going to put on a different mask. You know, um, these things... Are but you usually... haven't changed yourself. It's just a... Yeah. yeah. It's, That's it's, why yeah. I, I sort of reel at this whole thing about leadership styles. I, I get where it has a scientific basis or it has a, a, a theoretical basis. I get that. But um, a lot of people uh, look at it as what suit am I going to put on today? Am I the coaching leader today or am I the authoritative leader today? And that's that's not what they're meant to be. They're meant to be a way to describe um, or to direct behaviour but genuine behaviour. So, you know, what's, I tell you, Tony, what is really interesting is the idea of identity. And it's not just in leadership performance, but in general performance um, overall. And one of the big problems that I see with leaders, like a massive problem with the ones that you can, you know, if you can get to a genuine conversation with them, um, is imposter syndrome, which essentially is a lack of confidence. And um, and that comes back to, you know, in many respects, identity. Um, I was out riding my bike the other day. I was training and I've had... Shaving your legs yet? <laughs> of course. Why Good not? to hear. Well done. Good to hear. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and I, I'd had four months off the bike because I've been um, overseas and, and some other things happening. So I'm back into it. And what struck me was... Um, that it's a really good example of how you approach that. It's it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. So in that moment, I had some decisions to make and they were around who I am. So I could choose the identity of broken veteran with, um, you know, busted neck, two busted shoulders, buggered knees, you know, and I'd go out there and there would be a million and one excuses and pains that I would be focusing on. Um, and that would in fact that would impact my performance, and my performance equals my results. Or I could have chosen the the who are warrior thing, um, and you know I'm an old warrior, and go out and just push way past where I should be pushing, and injure myself, and you know then have inconsistent training. So the performance, the identity determines the performance that then in, ter in term um, impacts the results. Well, what I could do is I could approach it um, as I am a professional athlete. Now, I'm not a professional athlete, so I'm not faking it till I make it. I'll never be a professional athlete. I'm also not pretending because I'm not going out, you know, telling people lies about who I am. But what I'm doing is I'm adopting the mindset of that identity. And I'm just asking myself questions. What would a professional athlete do in this circumstance? Would they, you know, would they have a program? Probably. Would they have a coach? Probably. Would they do zone two training for the next month? 
Probably. Would they work on volume? Probably. Would they uh, focus a lot on recovery? Probably. Okay, I'll do that. And so when I step into that space, I have the mindset, I have the identity of professional athlete in terms of my behaviours. Did that sound very familiar to you, Jordan, in respect to me telling you what you did wrong in your marathon training last year and now uh, we'll we'll actually get it done properly this year? (laughs) Very much so, yeah. So it's a bit of, of, might have been a bit of the young gun ho in him, uh, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) I know that term. I'm glad you didn't use it. Uh, but that identity thing, Tony, yeah. is, is you know, we I used I used a physical thing there, but you yeah. can use it anywhere. So you know, um, the best the the world's best father when yeah. you're around your children, you know, um, you know, I don't know the the best husband in the world. What would the best husband in the world be doing right now? You know, would they would would they have their mobile phone in their hand while they're at dinner with their wife or whatever? Probably yeah. not. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Uh, unless your wife is making a TikTok video of you not dancing. Okay, let's. I've move. seen. I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just a. What we've spoken about today has been tremendous, and one of the things is those, as you said, you know, being accountable in a way and having a coach and having a program and things like that rather than just trying to wing it. Uh, and, you know, so having somebody that actually can help guide you through to to be the best version of yourself. As you said, you're not going to be a professional, you know, athlete, but at the end of the day, you can still always be the best version of yourself and, you know, do things, what you're saying there. But let's talk about, in just to close off here, um, team development. You've certainly mm-hmm. had a team. You spoke about mission. You spoke about team and then you, uh, you know, as a leader. And I think that was really well put. Uh, so, you know, in, in your case, it was, you know, mission, men, me. Mm-hmm. Um in regards to, you know, whether it be the corporate world, uh, you know, Jordan now has a team um, under him, you know, working with him and following his direction. Jamie obviously does as well, who's absolute integral part of this business, as does Boyana, yeah, does all the team here. But when it comes to team development, what are some of the, the things that you've found both, say, in military world and both in the corporate world, because you've been very successful in both, where you've seen to bring through the best in a team, things that have actually helped and team development in general? Yeah, I, I guess the first thing is to understand as a leader that it starts and it ends with you. Like your your team will rise to your level. So they won't outperform or outgrow you. You will be the handbrake. So to constantly reflect and review and to upgrade who you are, I think is really important. In terms of teams, I mean, actionable things that people can do, I think is to, um, again, you've got to work on trust and that's, yeah, trust is, um, is something that takes time to, to gauge, but it's got different elements to it. One of them is technical. Uh, competency, but there's a couple of other parts to trust that people can work on. Um, in terms of actionable stuff, um, it's really important to rally people around, um, you know, to rally people around the colours, you know, and they've, they've got to have a reason for, um, you know, suffering and sacrificing 
Um, and I, I say that the, we obviously hmm. don't want them to suffer and sacrifice, but for, for a lot of people getting up in the morning and going to work is suffering, you know, yeah. and there needs to be a really good reason, um, a compelling reason why they would willingly do it and want to go the extra yard. So, um, a shared purpose, focusing on what the meaning, the meaning of what we do, um, creating systems around that and frameworks around that, um, giving really clear direction. You know, I tell a lot of leaders that you only really need to do two, uh, three things. You direct, protect and provide clarity. That's it. Just focus on that to begin with. So direction, protection and clarity. And when I say, you know, direction is, is fairly um, uh, easy to grasp. Protection means allowing them to get on with their job, like be the umbrella over the top of them so that they can fulfill their potential without the interferences or the obstacles coming in from the environment. Um, and clarity is one that I don't think, you, particularly in the corporate environment, a lot of leaders grasp really well. So just keep it simple, keep it clear, keep it well-defined and let them get on with the job. Um, in terms of culture, uh, recognising that you model the culture and to be explicit about um, what are acceptable um, and unacceptable behaviours. Like this is what I, and again, this is clarity, right? People love it. Um, they might whinge a bit saying there's some rules here, but at the end of the day, they want in military speak, they want a left and a right of arc. They want to shoot inside the left and right of arc. That's what they want. They want some clarity. And when they get that, they get some momentum. They start driving forward. So I think they're probably uh, the big ones. Um, you know, trying to get a an environment where the accountability doesn't necessarily rest with um, the leader. So you're not the run, one running around saying, hey, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. So it's kind of a, a, a self-managing team and you get that by having a really compelling vision that they're all, they're all into and clear behaviours. The other one is have fun. Don't forget that, you know, you can inject a bit of fun into what you do. No one, yeah. Generally speaking, in corporate world, there's, it's not life and death. So smile and have some fun. Yeah, it's a fair call. I once said, uh, actually, you are a repeat offender of our podcast. You're one of the few. This is your second time on now. <laughs> I think you're one of the very first guests, actually. So it's, um, but I remember one of the things we spoke about, Kyle, when you were first on. And I'm going to close on this. Um, the difference between, say, a leader in the military, which you certainly were, uh, versus the leader in, say, in government and then the corporate world and SME world. And, you know, leaders in the, in government, as an example, if they make a mistake, well, taxpayer just pays. We just have more debt, you know, so and our taxes rise. So we end up suffering for the mistakes of, say, some of our elected leaders. Yep, and sure that's do. without getting that's without getting too political. The um the this if you have a look at the large corporate listed company world, mm. at the end of the day, if mistakes are made there and it's not criminally liable, shareholders are the ones that pay. You know, so it's um, they they might get grumpy at the next AGM, but at the end of the day, it's the shareholders that end up uh, paying because there's less dividends or less profit. You know, so if you're a bank and your company gets fine, your bank gets fined a billion dollars, well, it's not coming out of the executive's pay packet, uh, and very rarely are they moved on. Mm. 
SMEs, you know, say an organisation like Hock and Bond, if we make a mistake, it comes out of my pocket, mm. and that makes me grumpy. You know, so it's uh, <laughs> from that mis- uh, from that aspect. So you, you're, you certainly are a lot more careful because there's a lot of personal pain that can come with you know mistakes uh, that can actually be made. But when you're a leader and you're there and you're you're having to make a decision. You have to make a decision in a split second, click of a fingers. You know, you don't have time necessarily. I know everything is planned uh, with what you guys do. But if you, but I've often said, but if Kyle, when he was overseas, if he made a mistake, somebody potentially lost a life or a limb. Mm. You know, so it's um, and went through or went through a horrendously traumatic experience, you know, beyond the normal trauma that you all faced uh, when you were on tour. And I think that difference between that sort of no accountability to unbelievable personal accountability, because I know you as a person, I've known you for 40 odd years, uh, more, uh, for 45 years. So, so from that aspect, it's a case of I know that you would have deeply felt, you know, anything like that that actually occurred. I think then as a result of that, what you then bring into the, that experience that you then bring into the corporate world about making them think and actually making the team think and making the team be accountable is one of the greatest attributes that you can actually bring. So it's not, you know, sort of that military, I will yell at you in the face until, until you do what you want, you know, the, the Forrest Gump, yes, sir, <laughs> yes, Sergeant, was it yes, Sergeant Major? <laughs> was, uh, but the, but it, it's more that, well, we, we were trained not to make mistakes because mistakes can cost a life. Mm. Uh, bringing that into the corporate world but putting it towards a mission where it doesn't cost a life, but why make mistakes if we don't have to? And actually bringing the best out of people and having people still make decisions I think is one of the greatest attributes that you actually bring uh, from a personal level, as I said, having witnessed it firsthand of what you bring to the corporate world. Oh, thanks, mate. I, I really appreciate that. And I, it, it needs to be said that um, in many respects – um, leadership in the military is easier because um, there are so many definitions around. So you, you wear your rank around on your uniform. Um, I know exactly what you get paid. I know exactly what you're going to get paid when you go to your next um, job. Um, and, you know, we all get trained. When we go and do training in the military, we're trained to do the job of the leader to above us. So as a major, I can do the brigadier's, you know, theoretically, I can yeah. do the brigadier's job technically. So, um, and we all receive exactly the same training. And there's only one way to get to, say, lieutenant colonel, and that's to move your way up through the ranks. So we, everyone knows what you've done. Um, that's not the case. Uh, it's far more nuanced in the corporate um, environment. And you were talking about the life and death thing. That's the results of leadership and technical competence. And so the results are different in uh, the corporate world. That doesn't mean that the results uh, should be taken any less um, you know, seriously. But in the corporate world, what I've noticed is that um, it's, uh, it's more nuanced. It's more about, um, it's more about influence. And so, and just let me say that, you know, a lot of the military, the, the view of military leadership is so skewed because we watch so much American uh, television. In the Australian Army, let me tell you, the Australian diggers, they are Australian. They will not take crap from you as a leader um, and they will question. They will, and, and they expect to be consulted 
um, if there's time to do that consultation. And they have very, very demanding uh, requirements of their leaders. So it's not it's not authoritarian at all, really, um, in in the uh, in the military. So um, yeah, there's immense differences, but there's so much that crosses over. Where I feel sorry for people in corporate life is that they haven't had the benefits of leadership training like I have. I served for 24 years and about four years of it was training to be a leader full time, you know, so um, immensely um, beneficial when it comes to actually being a leader. So that's what I'm trying to do now is put together these programs. I've worked with lots and lots of corporates, but we're now doing a public facing program, an online program where we wrap as much of that stuff up as we can. We nuance it for uh, to make it relevant and applicable to the corporate world. We use science and theory, but we take it from a practitioner's point of view. There's a lot of people out there doing what I do who have never been a leader, so we, we put that realness into it, um, and we try and get people to level up um, in a relatively quick period of time. But what I what I need is I need people who are hungry and driven and open minded um, and, you know, adaptable and willing to roll their sleeves up and give it a shot. Kyle, that is wonderful. Uh, we're going to leave it there. I want to thank you so much for your time today. And so I will do this because, you know, the immense respect. Or I hope you know the immense respect I have for you. Thank you for today, boss. thank you thank you for the opportunity i appreciate being here with you tony always and also uh with you jordan and um you know thank you for your service jordan Uh, i appreciate everything you've done in your career before you got to work with this fine man thank you appreciate it carl the Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Can Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.